Welcome to the Lifehouse Church Podcast. Lifehouse is a church that exists to invite all people to live an uncommon life by following Jesus, doing life together, getting in the game, and leaving a legacy. We hope that today's message helps you grow as a follower of Jesus, gives you perspective to see yourself and others differently, and inspires you to make a difference in the world around you. Now, let's get to this week's message. Thank you, brother. Um, I want to speak a simple message to you today called KISS. <laughs> Keep it simple, saints. <laughs> You've probably heard that statement before, uh, keep it simple, stupid, <laughs> right? And really, the whole point of that is to, or it's just like people have this gift of complexifying the simple. Is there someone in your life that has that gift? We just shout their name out right now. I'm just kidding. Don't. <laughs> but honestly, like some people have this gift of taking something super simple and complexifying it. And that word complexify, I looked it up, is not a real word, but I'm using it. Because it just sounds right. And what, what I am afraid of is that we have done this with the words of Jesus. That words from Jesus that Jesus said are super clear, but we like to complexify them because so we don't actually obey them. You know, some people complexify things because they don't want to do it. Everyone okay? And really what I've seen with Jesus's words is a lot of Jesus's words were clear, but we like to complicate them because we struggle to want to obey them. And really, some words that I see that Jesus said that really embody this is what Christians would call the Great Commission. And that's why I, th I think even saying, you know, Community Commissioning Sunday, where we're talking about the Great Commission, this is essentially what we're saying, those that call our church home, what our hope for them is, is that they would see themselves as being commissioned and sent as the church. What, what you see Jesus say, right, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, let me give you some background here. The, the, the disciple Matthew was a follower of Jesus. He was a tax collector. Jesus saw him and called him to be, to be his disciple. Matthew laid down his tax collecting business and followed Jesus, which let me just tell you, would be like a millionaire laying their business down to follow. Tax collectors literally made their own rules and could rip people off at their own whatever. Like, they could make the taxes up based on how much they like you or don't like you. They were shady. But Jesus called him to be a follower of him. Matthew started following Jesus. And what you actually see, when Jesus died, Matthew decided to put together an account of Jesus' life, specifically written for the Jewish people. And it eventually became the Gospel of Matthew, and one of the things that Matthew documents that Jesus said right before he ascended to heaven, like I said, Christians have declared it the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, this is what Jesus said. He said, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, what does that, that say? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Let's, let's simplify what Jesus said, said there. Let's break it down. Jesus said, I'm in charge. Therefore, 
Get. Go. Go do what? Make disciples and baptize them. Teach them to obey. And by the way, I'm with you. Pretty simple, huh? <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. But how, how often do we complicate what the church is ultimately called to do? We do it all the time. Good teachers, and you know this, good leaders have the gift of taking something complex and simplifying it. And Jesus did this, right? Even when you see Jesus, you had this one guy, a lawyer, come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, what's the most important law in the whole law? And he was referencing 633 commands. Because that's what, that is what rabbis deducted was how many commands there were in the Old Testament, the, the Bible that Jesus followed. It was 633, and he wanted to test Jesus because he wanted to see how is Jesus going to answer? Is he going to label? Well, the most important command is just be sexually pure. Right? Because that's what people did. They, they, they focused on, like, what you did. But Jesus, when he came and asked him this question, Jesus said, I'm going to take these 633 commands that are complicated, nuanced, and layered, and I'm going to break it down into two. Love God, love people. He took complex, he took complexity and gave it simplicity. And I think when we're in this age where everybody's got an opinion of what the church should be doing, everybody's got an opinion of what the church should be, everybody's got an opinion on the church, and it just seems like everyone's adding it and complexifying it, when I think Jesus here pretty much laid it out. Hey, church, I'm in charge. Get. Make disciples, not church, not just church people. Baptize them, teach them, and by the way, I'm with you. I think when the church loses its ultimate mission, its simple mission, that's when we get focused on stuff that in the light of eternity doesn't mean a dang thing. Like, if you want to get me mad, I'll, I'll just, and Carrie knows, knows this. Let's, like, when the church, and not just the church, our church, any church, whenever I hear of any church, focusing on stuff that is sideways energy and not the mission that God has called it to. Because you've got churches fighting over carpet colors. You've got churches fighting over worship styles. You have churches fighting over who can be pastors. You have churches fighting over where they can meet. I mean, it is absolutely insane to see the stuff that the churches fight over. And it's just like, can we get past all that and let's get to what is clear? It's the Great Commission. And it's to make, it's to make disciples. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says this, the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christ. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. He's like, if we're doing all of these things, but all of these things aren't leading people to actually become what Jesus said, disciples, it's dumb. It's pointless. It's stupid. Neil Cole said this. He said, ultimately, each church will be evaluated by only one thing. It's disciples. Your church is only as good as its disciples. It does not matter how good your praise, preaching, programs, or property are. If your disciples are passive, needy, consumerist, and not moving in the direction of radical obedience, your church is not good. It's amazing what the U.S. church declares as being successful and probably what Jesus declares as being successful. 
they're probably very different. And of course, we have to be mindful of this, this vacuum we're in called the United States culture and what it's trying to shape and form us into. We always have to be mindful of what Jesus' standard of success is and what Jesus' standard of success is because they can be different. What Jesus deems success and what the world deems success can be different, and this is true when it comes to the church. So I'm gonna walk step-by-step step through this great commission that Jesus gave, how it applies to us, give you two thoughts, and we're done, and we're gonna go baptize people. Does that sound good? You ready? Simple. Let's simplify it. First off, Jesus said this, I'm in charge. Some of y'all forget Jesus is in charge. You watch the news, you see what's going on, and because there's so much going on that, that, that like, I think we forget stuff that Jesus says. So let me remind you something Jesus said in four chapters before Matthew 28. In Matthew 24, he was preparing his disciples for when he left. Let me tell you, or let me show you what he said, because I think we need to hear this today. Is this what it says? It says, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, the kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all of this is only the first of the birth pains with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. You know how I know Jesus is in charge? Because he predicted a lot of what we're seeing. He's not in heaven, like, shaken on his throne. Like, oh my God, I did not see Russia invading Ukraine. I'm shocked. Right? And we have to understand, the first thing Jesus said when he was commissioning his disciples, he said, I'm in charge, don't be deceived. Because the sovereignty of God, I, I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the Christian rests his head. I'm telling you, as you can trust that the Lord is in charge, though it might not seem like it or feel like it, we, don't see with, we just don't see with eyes we can see. We see with eyes of faith. Scripture tells us we don't, that, that we don't operate by sight. We operate by what? Faith. Meaning we don't just see what's happening, we see beyond what's happening. And we have to understand, beyond what we see that's happening, Jesus is in charge. And because he's in charge, what does he say? He says, therefore, get. I believe one of the big reasons why Christians are bored is because they don't go. I mean, honestly, it's crazy how many Christians are bored out of their minds saying, is this all there is? Go to church once a, once a week. You know, and, and, and really, I, I, I think many times, you, like, you're not growing because you're not going. And what I mean by that is you shift your, pers- your, your perspective to, to see you haven't been sentenced to anything. You've been sent to everything. Because some of you look at your job and you're like, you feel like you're going to prison for eight hours per day, 40 hours per week. And really what Jesus is saying here, when he says, therefore go, he's, he, he means your job. Of like, you are called to go to your job and be his representation. So though you might hate your job, you can love the mission of Jesus. 
and you can go, go, you can therefore go and be the hands and feet and presence of him. Going, it does not mean to Africa. Going does not mean to Russia. Going could be across the street. We have labeled missions as foreign when it is here. We will go and do things in different countries that we won't even do in our neighborhood. It's crazy. We'll, we'll go certain. Not that I'm saying we shouldn't, but it's not either or, it's both and. Whatever neighborhood you're living in, you're sent there. Go. Wherever place you work, go. Wherever sports teams you're on, go. Wherever you have fun doing whatever you do, quilting, horseback riding, fencing, I don't know, curling. The issue isn't what you're doing. The heart, like, the issue is what, like, you're going. As a Christian, this is not just for a few paid professionals. This is for everybody. We are all called to go. Now, the church hasn't helped this because all, what, what we've tried to do is try to just get you in a place once per week and call that church and call that the great commission. When the thing is the church is not just a place you go to, it is a mission that you've joined. Y'all, this is equipping. This is not entertainment. This is a time for the church to come together as the saints, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to let the word of God crash over us, to worship, to fix our eyes on him. And when the real church and when the great commission begins, it, be, it, it starts when we end here. Because then what do you do? You leave. The church gathers. It will always gather. The church has got to gather. Why? Because we need to be encouraged. We need to be strengthened. We've got to see each other, right? But then once you go, that's when you go. And what I love is wherever you go, there Jesus is. If we take this to heart, wherever you go, the Spirit of God is there. You might have a hellish family, but every week as you go, the Spirit of God is in that hellish family. So bring heaven to it. You might be going to your hellish job. You've got the spirit of God inside of you. You go to your hellish job and bring heaven. Why? Because you go. It's what Christians do. We go. We don't stay. We, we, don't, we, we, we don't, okay, we just want the goosebumps more, Jesus. Give us more Holy Spirit goosebumps. No, we, we go. I love what Mike Stachura says. He says, the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Yes, the church gathers. We are, we are always going to gather. I'm thankful we have a place to gather. But y'all, if all we focus on is gathering and not going, we're completely missing the mission, the simple mission of Jesus, which is to go. And like I said earlier, the reason some of Jesus' followers aren't growing is due to them not going. You're bored. You're literally bored with the mission of Jesus. And that sounds crazy, but you're bored because you don't understand the mission. You're going to your job like, I hate this place, when if you switched your perspective, you would actually, Jesus has you there, not just for your job, but for somebody at your job. In your family, you might dislike your family, but what if God has you in your family and it's not about you? But you won't see that unless your perspective shifts. You won't see that unless you see yourself as going. 
Some of you have been sent to this city, and you're like, I hate this city. Did not want to be here. I wanted to be in Florida, but now I'm in Virginia. And you're like, why? And you're like, why have I been sent here? And it's like, I get that. But at the same time, don't neglect the fact that maybe you were sent here by the sovereignty of God. Are y'all seeing my heart? The heart is to go, y'all. And if we have a church that just sees itself as sentenced and not sent, we will never accomplish the simple words of Jesus to go. I don't, I don't remember what I just said, so that's... <laughs> I, I, I'll let you say it, Bree. Sorry, that's real talk. I don't remember what I said. Um, therefore, go. Okay, then Jesus said this. Go and do what? Make disciples. I want to show you two cycles. And when I mean cycles, and you'll probably relate to this as I bring these up, but I believe we have a, not war in the church, but we have this idea of a normal U.S. Christian and an actual disciple of Jesus. Let me show, show you these. A normal U.S. Christian cycle, right? Starts at the top. Like, people realize, crap, I don't want to go to hell. Or they're like, Jesus can give me something? He can give me a better marriage? He can give me a spouse? He can give me money? Hmm. Or he can help me become better? Right? And it's like, that becomes the starting point. And not that that's a bad starting point. Because, yes, Jesus met practical needs. But then what is the next step? Because people start there, and then it typically goes to what I would call worldly sorrow, which simply means worldly repentance. Scripture gives two kinds of, of repentance. You have godly repentance and worldly repentance. World, worldly repentance is, some, is, is a kind of thing where you feel bad for doing something, but there's no actual repentance or turning. It's just you feel bad. So you're like, yep, I've done something wrong, and... I want Jesus to give me something, so I, I feel bad, Jesus. But there, there's no actual, as you go to the next step in the cycle, then, then you don't train to be like Jesus. Now you're just trying. So you're like, all right, like I'm, I'm trying. But nothing in your life changes. Nothing in your schedule. Nothing in your budget. Nothing with your friend circle. Like there, there's nothing intentional to say, I want this to be the center of my life now. And it's, it's really because you want to try to get the most from God without actually giving God something back. You're a consumer. And you're treating God like a stock market. So you don't change any, anything because the culture we're in is a consumerist culture where we want to give nothing and get a lot. That's how we treat God. So then we, you know, we're trying. And you, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying. And then it goes in, into, well, if Jesus fits, he fits. But if he doesn't, whatever. So Jesus becomes a convenience, becomes an add-on. If he can fit into my schedule, great. If he can fit into my budget, great. If, if he can fit. And then when they actually realize, crap, I don't want to go to hell, then it starts over. Is this making sense? So that, the, the, like, this is the, the cycle of a typical U.S. Christian. Now, let's, let, let, let's go into, into what, to what a, like a real disciple cycle looks like that you see Jesus modeling, where people reckon, right? So it, it starts off like you understand there's a cost to following. One thing Jesus said, like I love Jesus because Jesus shrunk churches. 
Like he'd have this large crowd and he would say things like, hey, um, um, you know, he would say, hey, if you're going to follow me, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Anyone want to do it? No one. Okay, great. He said, you have to understand the cost of following him. So it starts off with, with, with this idea of not I'm trying to get something from Jesus, but I realize I have sinned against the Lord, the heaven, like, like the Lord of heaven and earth, the maker of all things. And, and, but at the same time, if I'm going to follow him, you realize that, that there's a cost. And then it goes into repentance. And repentance, what we teach at LifeHouse, is repentance is a turning. It is a, not just a turning with your life, but a rethinking with your mind to where literally you take all the chips of, of your life and we kind of do poker language to it where like each one of those chips symbolizes a part, a piece of part of, of your life. The way we define repentance is you go all in. Where you say, Jesus, I need you to help me rethink and everything is on the table. You want an area of my life? Dig in. You don't, compart you, you don't compartmentalize. So then as you repent and the Lord starts putting his hand on stuff, it then moves down into the third piece, which is now you're training to be like Jesus. You're not trying. Training means you have an intentional plan with an intentional purpose with an intentional goal. It means some things are going to have to change. Everyone wants to be sexy, but no one wants to wake up at 6 a.m. and go to the gym. Everyone wants to be sexy, but no one wants to turn on the television or turn off the television and, and actually work out. Everyone wants, wants to be sexy, but there are some people that don't want to actually, like, say no to carbs. Put the bread down. <laughs> no, exactly. Stop eating cereal. Like, like, I pray, like, there's intentional training. But then the training leads to Jesus not being something you add on to your life. Now you reorient your life around him. So now Jesus is the center and everything else revolves around him. He's not something that revolves around whatever. He's the center. And when Jesus said, make disciples, I don't think he was saying, make the typical U.S. Christian that we've created. Make disciples. And my heart is that we would be a church that is passionate, not just about getting something from God, but getting God. Because the greatest gift we get in following God is not what he gives us, it's him. It is him. We follow him because we want to be like him, not to get something from him. Disciples, and he says, make disciples, and then teach, and then baptize and teach them. So he's like, baptism, like, Baptism is simply a, a, a symbolic act that, that you do. When you go down into the water, it's like your grave. As Jesus went into the grave and came out of the grave and resurrected, baptism is that step of you going into the grave and it's symbolizing your death and you coming up and you have new life in Christ. That's why you'll see behind the banner we have baptizing, or the, the, the banner behind the, the, um, the, the thing out there with the water in it, it says raised to life. Like we believe that whenever you go down, you are raised to new life, that it literally is like a wedding ring. Like this wedding ring symbolizes to the whole world John Ware is off limits. I am devoted and committed to one woman. And here is the symbol. And baptism is like you publicly declaring your devotion to one God for your life. Not this God and that God and this functional Savior and that functional Savior. But you are saying, I am giving my life 
and I'm going to symbolically show. And that's why some of you today, you need to get baptized. Like the next step in your journey is you have been following Jesus and you need to get baptized. Like, John, I don't have any clothes. We got clothes. John, what about my hair? No one cares about your hair. <laughs> right? no, I'm just kidding. We care about your hair, right? But like your next step, why? Because Jesus commanded it. He commanded it. Jesus modeled it. He was baptized. And so I believe today there are, there are some of you didn't plan to get baptized today, but God knew. And we planned. So we got towels. We got clothes. Because the next step is your obedience. Because in this one, he says, baptize them and teach them to obey. I want to talk to you a little bit about obedience. Because we have a culture of Christians that are rich on knowledge, poor in obedience. Let me teach you a prayer. Say this prayer. Lord, help me to obey what I already know. That's a powerful prayer. It's wild to me how people will want the deep things of God but not obey the simple things of God. They'll want to know what, you know, the book of Revelation and all these deep, you know, and, and they want God to reveal these deep things to them and they miss over the simple things that they just don't do. And I'm just a firm believer in that God won't show you the deep things if you won't obey the clear things, the, the simple things. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He said, one act of obedience is better than 100 sermons. Some of you want more sermons, but what you need is more obedience. Do what you know. Obey what you know. Obey what you know. Because some of you wait to understand to obey when you won't understand unless you obey. I'll say that one more time, Bravanda. Some of you are waiting to understand to obey, but many of you won't understand until you obey. You can't taste and see that God is good if you don't taste. And the way you taste many times is by doing what the Lord asks and what the Lord requires. And that happens by obedience. Turn to someone and say, you need to obey. St. Augustine said this. He said, the cost of obedience is small compared with the cost of disobedience. I'm going to say that one more time. The cost of obedience is small compared with the cost of disobedience. My heart is that we would have a church at Lifehouse that does not just want the deep things of God, but won't simply obey the clear things of God. We need a church that hears and obeys. The last thing he said, though, he, Jesus said this. He said, I am with you. He said, hey, I'm in charge. Therefore, go, make disciples, teach, baptize, and as you do all that, be reminded, I'm with you. You know, the most repeated command in Scripture is not um, don't drink. You know, the most repeated command in Scripture is fear not. Fear not. Why? Why? Because Jesus knew 
what our biggest fear would be. Like the, we would be ruled and many times ravaged by what? Fear. And Jesus gives us the opportunity. He, I mean, he, it's, it's like he was saying, yes, I know you are going to fear going and doing this mission. But as you go, hey, I'm with you. I'm with you. Jesus even said, it's better that I go because if I don't go, I can't send you the spirit that won't just be around you but will dwell in you. Some of y'all are like, I just wish we had Jesus. No, you don't. Even Jesus said that. You can come up, Jarvis. We got to end this, end this thing, brother. But, but even Jesus said, it's better that I leave because Jesus is, and don't come at me. Jesus could only be in, in, that, in that place. But the spirit of God, he said, once the spirit comes, it's gonna be in you. And wherever you go, the spirit is. And, and that is why you have to remind yourself of God's word. One of the things second that Paul encouraged Timothy with, he said, for the spirit that God gave you doesn't give you a spirit of fear. Now you might feel fear. You might feel scared. But fear, fear can be in the passenger seat, but not in the driver's seat. I mean, let's just be honest. We do a lot of things with fear in the driver's seat. And they're sitting there trying to talk at us. You ain't good enough. You ain't smart enough. Look at you. John, you're just a stuttering pastor. Whatever, listen to you. But you know what? I got, I got control of the car. You're not giving me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. Love and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1.7. You've not given me a spirit of fear. And some of y'all need to kick fear out the car. Some of y'all fear is in the driver's seat and you're in the passenger seat. And that's driving you. But you have to realize Jesus left. He said, I'm with you and I'll be with you through my spirit. He said, the spirit does not give us fear, but it gives us a spirit of power. Could anyone use power? Could anyone use love? Like you have those people in your life that just talk against you all the time. You have to like, nah, I got the spirit to love you, man. And self-discipline. Like I, I, I love the fact that it says the spirit gives a spirit of discipline. That is your potential, friends. Your potential is power, love, and self-discipline. That's in you by the power of the Holy Spirit but it has to be trained to get out. This is good. This is a good preaching. I'm, I'm about to pat myself on the back because this is good stuff. I'm telling you, if you will get this in your spirit, in your heart, and you will know Jesus did not leave you empty. He did not leave you. He even said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm, I'm not leaving you by yourself. I will send my spirit to be with you and be dwelling in you. But as you go, and accomplish this as you teach, as you baptize, as you make disciples. No, my spirit is, I am with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you can be bold and courageous and walk in the power and the authority that the Spirit has. Let's, let's not make this hard. Now, two thoughts really quick. First off, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. Talking about the Great Commission. Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. This is what Pat Morley said. He said, if the Great Commission is true, our plans aren't too big, they're too small. Many of you, your life goal is too small. 
because it's all about your comfort. It's all about where you're going to retire. This is what Francis Chan says. He says, make disciples. Our lives should revolve around these two words. Whether as individuals or as couples, our mission is to make as many disciples as we can during our time on this planet. He says, this takes priority over everything else. So assuming you haven't done so already, you should sit down with your spouse tonight and figure out how to structure your lives around the command to make disciples. This command should dictate everything about your life, where you live, where you work, where you spend your money, how you spend your time, everything. You should not make a single decision without the words, make disciples, factoring in. We should be constantly asking ourselves the question, how can we free up more time and resources for making disciples? And let me say this, this starts in the home first. My first priority in the great commission is my three sons. Jackson, you're my, well, besides Kristen, besides my wife, my three sons, they're, they are my first church. That is where families, if you have kids, that's, that is your first going. Okay? Don't save the world and lose, and lose your sons and daughters. The pastor that started and planted one of the largest churches ever, one point some million people, he's in prison. His sons have turned away from, from the faith. One of the things their son said was, my dad knew Jesus, but he didn't know me. That haunts me, right? So that's, that, that is our first going. But I'm just not called to them. I'm called to help them like live it too. Disciple them and send them out as disciple makers. It starts in the home though. David Kim said this, the great commission will not be fulfilled with our spare time or spare money. The reason the church is struggling and the reason why Christians are bored is because the great commission is on the peripheral, it's not central. People don't prioritize it. I know these are hard words and I'm not trying to convict, I'm just praying that the Spirit of God will fill your heart with a vision to see what you are called to, that we're called to, that you can go on the adventure of going and it's so much crazier and wilder and better than just you living the typical U.S trajectory and goal of retiring on a beach and sipping strawberry dockeries while you die. The Great Commission has more for that, has more than that. Everybody doing okay? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Last, lastly, it's important that we distinguish what is our job and what is God's job. In, in this, his job, he's in charge and he's with us. Our job is we gotta go Make some disciples and teach and baptize. It's this divine dance. His job, our job. And we work together in accordance with the Spirit of God to go and be Him. Will you stand up with me? Let's keep it simple, saints. <laughs> Let's keep it simple. Let's not complicate this vision. Let's not complicate what we're called to, family. The Great Commission is the mission. That's why LifeHouse exists. That's why you exist. And my prayer is that we would catch a fire for it. You would see your job, not that you're sentenced there, you're sent there. You would know you've got the spirit of God dwelling within you. You would know he's in charge. And you would know that the mission 
is clear. Lift up hands with me. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all you said today, for all you did. I pray you would take these hard words, let them fall on soft hearts. And God, would you shift and change our perspectives? Would you give us a burden for what burdens your heart? Would you give us a fire for, for, for what you have a fire for? Your word says that the, Jesus looked on the crowds and he saw that they were helpless. He saw that they were lost. And Jesus said, the, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. So God, I pray that you'd raise up laborers that see their family as the first field, that, that then looks beyond their, their family and says, hey, let's go to the world. It is your hands and your feet. Lord, we thank you for your, for your word today. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. And if today's message helped or inspired you, feel free to share it with someone. If after today's message you have questions, need help, or just want somebody to talk to or process with, just shoot LifeHouse a text to 757-690-2401. For more information about LifeHouse, you can visit us at lifehouseonline.church. That's lifehouseonline.church.